Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Motley Fool's Industry Focus Financials Edition, where we talk about companies with business models that sound made up. It's Gabby LaPera here, and we have Michael Douglas filling in for John Maxfield, who is on vacation. Yeah, and actually, for those of you who miss my tendency toward vocalized pauses and ums and uh, uh, stuttering to some extent on podcasts. Uh, look I forward. Oh, yeah. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, look forward to me on healthcare. I'll be filling in for Christina Hargis, who will be out on vacation. So we'll be bringing the old dream team of Todd Campbell and Michael Douglas back together for uh, at least one encore. So today we're going to talk about the wonderful world of REITs. Um, REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. This type of company specializes in owning or financing income-producing real estate or a bunch of mortgages. Um, this normally means buying a property. Like for most REITs, the ones that we're really going to focus on today, it normally means buying a property and then leasing it out to a corporate client, right? Or the government, or, or the government, uh, or even some of your mom and pop shops. You know, you'll you'll see. Um, Think, think shopping centers, malls, apartment buildings, uh, office buildings, big warehouses and manufacturing facilities. These are the sorts of things that REITs tend to own, including even hospitals and uh, skilled nursing facilities. And uh, We'll be talking about that a little bit further down the line. Bringing it right back to the healthcare. Yeah, can't um, resist. <laughs> so to qualify as a REIT, REITs are special companies. They have special uh, restrictions put on them by the government. Uh to qualify as a REIT, you have to um, invest at least 75% of your total assets in real estate, and you have to get 75% of your gross income from real estate, and you have to pay out, I think the, the technical term is a whole bunch of <laughs> <laughs> of your uh, taxable income in shareholder dividends, which is what 90%. Makes... Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big number. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of a polite way to say that. I realized halfway through that sentence that that sentence typically doesn't end that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, REITs are REITs are super special. They're one of the companies that you're always going to get a dividend from, and if you're not getting a dividend, then get out real quick. Yeah, there's something there's something weird going on because that means that well, the REIT's not making any money, which usually, I mean, not always in healthcare, for example, but usually <laughs> more broadly, we're we're looking for companies that are you know bringing in some kind of cash. Yeah. So I just want to take a quick minute to point out that there is a difference between an equity REIT, which is the ones that specialize in real estate, and mortgage REITs. Um, mortgage REITs are generally a pretty bad idea. Yeah, I mean, so so it's 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 a riskier sort of investment. Um, your your mortgage REITs, um, most of them are investing in mortgages that are agency backed. So you know, we're talking agency backed securities from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, those mortgages carry a fair bit of risk. Um, there are also mortgage REITs that invest in non-agency-backed securities. Which are a terrible idea. Well, which which carry a great deal more risk. <laughs> uh, certainly, I think, a bit more risk than Gabby or I are, are comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and, and generally... Not for the certainly not for the introductory investor. I would personally say not for any investor, but They're certainly not for the, not for the introductory. Part, yeah. For sure, part of the problem with REITs is that they have super high leverage, which is how they can produce these double dividend returns, double digit dividend returns. Say got. that five times oh, fast, right? Hey, stop stealing my jokes. <laughs> um, but and they and they can afford our interest rate environment right now is super low, so they can afford to do that. But as soon as the Fed raises interest rates, that's going to cut in significantly into the profits of these type of M rate companies. Yeah, although it's also a bit of a threat for equity rates as well. So the issue here is that when the Fed 
raises interest rates. Essentially, the cost of borrowing increases, which then means that for a for a REIT, whether mortgage or an equity REIT, to make money, well, it needs to then get a better sort of return on its investment, um, and that can be. That can be difficult. That can make REITs become more selective um, because their costs of uh, borrowing grow grow so much. Um, for, for mortgage REITs particularly, that's a difficulty. But it can also be an issue for equity REITs. Yeah, especially since they're, they tend to be more highly leveraged right. than the equity REITs. So, that being said, um, we've discussed that REITs are not quite like your average company. That means that you can't use all of your traditional metrics to assess them because they don't work quite as well. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, price-to-earnings is not super helpful. Yeah. Um, well, and and so the thing is, you know, price to earnings is um, required for generally accepted accountable. Right. Uh, so they have practices. to report it. Right. Um, but Nareet argues, and, um, and and I think it's a very compelling argument, that um, one of the issues with, with gap earnings per share is that it essentially, it, it, it takes in uh, depreciation uh, of, of, you know, buildings, automobiles, real estate um, as well. And for these REITs, you know, real estate often actually sort of grows in value over time instead of going down in value, or at least doesn't depreciate on the on the schedules that you're used to from the IRS. Therefore, um, something that they argue is a little bit more helpful is funds from operations, which kind of adds that back in. Exactly. Or zeroes that out anyway. Right. So um, when you look at uh, the funds from operation, um, what you want to see is a value around actually fairly similar to um, a price-to-earning uh, ratio. The other thing to think about with uh, REITs is when you look at other companies and you see a ton of debt, that's something to definitely worry about. But with REITs, it's maybe not as worrisome as it would be with, say, like a toy retailer. Right. And, and that's because, again, they make their money um, a lot of the time on the spread between their cost of their borrowing costs and then what they're able to purchase with that. So you would expect them, therefore, to be more leveraged than the average company. Now, maybe not as leveraged as some of the mortgage REITs are. Um, again, we're talking right. equity REITs here as sort of the the better investments, particularly for someone who is new to the space. Um, but you will tend to see more leverage than you would see in the average company. So a, a debt ratio that is a red flag for another company might not be that way for a REIT. So that's one of the reasons it's actually really important to check a REIT's credit rating before investing, because the credit rating kind of dictates how cheaply they're going to be able to take on debt yeah. in order to fund their operations. And of course, that to some extent depends on the amount of debt you already have. So it's a little right. bit of a cycle. But um, but yeah, that's that's definitely a very important thing. If you can keep that low cost of capital, even in, for example, like a rising interest rate environment, like theoretically we're going to have at some point when the Fed actually uh, increases rates, then that's going to be a big benefit to whoever has that good credit rating. The other thing to look at is the dividend yield rate. Um, healthy dividend yield rate for most for most REITs is around four to six percent. Um, again, if you see them going super duper high, like you see with M REITs, typically there's something hinky going on, or they've just taken on a, a ton of risk in order to fund that. Um, on the other hand, if they're too low, it could be that there's something wrong with the company or um, they are in the process of expanding. I think you had an example for that. Yeah. So um, there's a there's a company. Um, AMT is the ticker. That's uh, American Tower Corporation. Um, it pays out like a two percent dividend, um, but they are growing very quickly. So um, I, I think one of the things with the dividend is, um, like every number, it's 
kind of just a number until you know the story behind it. So you need to understand why a company is paying out a super high dividend or super low dividend. Let's say it's really high, right? Maybe that's because the stock has be has been unnecessarily beaten down by the market, and you're therefore you know the market's sort of missing an opportunity that you can then take and get this great dividend yield and also you know potentially some growth once it returns to a more traditional uh, valuation. But it could be that there's actually a very good reason for that uh, valuation to be so depressed. Maybe it's because um, you know they're really exposed to interest rate risk. Maybe it's because they're um, the folks that they're taking on. You know, I don't know. One of them is going out of business or being merged into another. Um, you know, this happens in retail all the time, right? One company buys another. Well, you know, what if you happen? Think about it this way. So if Rite Aid and Walgreen both got you know, uh, Walgreens bought Rite Aid, let's say, for example. And again, I don't think this is going to happen, but let's just pretend. They're across the street from each other. You can't, it would not make sense to continue operating both. And so that might be a risk then for a REIT that happened to own, let's say, uh, a bunch of buildings that Rite Aid was leasing out of. Um, and so that's the sort of thing, that's the sort of thing you kind of have to understand. You really have to look into that deeper story and go a step beyond the numbers and the, and the headlines to really understand what's going on. Basically, kids, you need to do your homework. Um, talking about that, both of us have looked into some REITs, um, and we've both come up with a with one REIT each that we'd like to talk a little bit about. Yeah, good for a starter, a starter investor, someone who's interested in the sector but maybe um, isn't that knowledgeable about it, at least not yet. Right. These people have fairly good business practices. They're pretty transparent on their ten um, Ks, so they're they're going to be a little bit easier to to wrap your mind around. Um, do you want to start, or should I? Yeah, why don't you start? All right. So I'm going to be talking about Realty Income. Um, Realty Income is one of the largest retail REITs out there. It has one of the best track records. Um, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, man, brick and mortar retail, like that's going the way of the dodo. The internet is so cool. And that's what I use to order all my groceries. But most people don't do that. Um, Realty Income is super smart about the type of tenants that it takes on. It focuses on tenants that absolutely need to have a physical footprint. So like a fast food restaurant, um, gyms, convenience stores, pharmacies, movie theaters, grocery stores. These are all places that people typically need to actually physically go to in order to get stuff. Um, they also have these massively long 20-year triple net leases. And a triple net lease is super cool for a REIT because it means that the tenant and not the REIT is responsible for insuring the building, taking care of all the maintenance, and paying all the taxes for the property. Yeah, and don't forget the uh, don't forget uh, utilities as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. The REITs basically are like, okay, well, we're giving you this building and it's all your responsibility now, but we're still going to charge you for having it. Um, which is great for them. It's, that's how they can make so much money. Yeah. It, I mean, it just cut down. It just cuts down on costs and ensures a super steady revenue stream because they are so long term. Those twenty year long leases. Uh, the other thing that's really cool about Realty Income is that they have a lot of really long term tenants, which means that they um, are probably a super well run company because they've been able to like foster and maintain these relationships over such a long time. And it's really hard to buy that kind of loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond all that, Realty Income has some super healthy numbers. Their FFO is around 16. They have a really responsible debt and stock to capitalization ratio that is around 30, which is lower than a lot of its peers. And their dividend is super sustainable at around 5%. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful company and, and really um, the Goliath in its space of retail. And, um, and it's a company that's done very well for a long time and, and certainly looks poised to do very well, especially leveraging that 
um, that size and that scale that they have uh, longer term and those triple net leases. Yeah. Um, for me, in a lot of ways, I can't help uh, that my, my roots are in healthcare. And so I always, I always think a little bit from a healthcare perspective because I think there are so many um, massive demographic shifts that are pushing um, in the direction of healthcare. And so these include um, the graying of America, these include uh, growth in uh, script drug use. Um, and, and so when I particularly think, and then also, you know, just in, in the United States, things like the Affordable Care Act, Medicaid expansion, um, these should be beneficial to the healthcare space on the whole uh, for the medium to long term. And that's kind of our investing uh, time horizon. One of the really, really big dogs in the space is called HCP Inc. Um, that's ticker HCP. <laughs> really complicated there. Um, and they pay about a 6% dividend. Um, and they are very, very broadly um, exposed kind of across healthcare. So um, going from an investor presentation um, at the end of their first quarter, um, they were about 38% senior housing, about 24% post-acute and skilled hospitals and nursing facilities, 14% life science, 14% medical office buildings, 5% international, 5% hospital. I mean, really just across the board in, um, in clinical health care. So, so leaving aside sort of your, your pharmacies, um, but sort of in the clinical side of health care, they're just really broadly exposed across that entire uh, portfolio. Now, keep in mind, that was as of the end of Q1, Q2 numbers a little bit different, but it's very similar. So you get a sense of kind of the, the size and scale and dispersion um, that they have. You know, if any if any one part of the portfolio suddenly had a lot of trouble, um, they have a lot of the rest of the portfolio to fall back on. Um, it's a healthy company. Um, one of the interesting things about it and about FFO actually, so FFO um, is still subject to the same problems of uh, earning of gap earnings per share, um, and one of them is that in FFO you don't tend in in earnings per share you don't zero out acquisition related costs, right? So that's why some REITs also report AFFO, which is adjusted funds from operations, and FAD, which is funds available for distribution. And it's important to note that for both of those. There's no standardized way to do them, so everyone's kind of doing them differently. So don't take it as maybe an apples to apples comparison across all REITs. Right. If one REIT is trading at a uh, you know 16 uh, price to AFFO ratio, and the other one's at one, uh, 22, that doesn't necessarily mean anything until you understand what exactly is going into that AFFO calculation. Okay. But they put it in. They put it in their 10Ks or their 10Qs, whatever. Yeah, they have to explain it. And and for HCP, once you zero out some of those acquisition related costs and and some other one-time uh, numbers. Their AFFO has, uh, you know, very steadily increased last quarter, um, and their uh, funds available for distribution, which is sort of what they think of in terms of like being able to pay out dividends and things like that, um, is healthily above the amount that they're paying out uh, in dividends. So um, that indicates dividend that's stable, sustainable, and has a uh, a good uh, good opportunity for further expansion. And at 6% yield, it's it's pretty darn good. Neither Realty Income Group nor HCP um, is going to be necessarily one of those, you know, rocket ship-like return no. uh, kind of companies. But... It's great to, to own and just hold for a really long time. Yeah. Um, I, I think that particularly for... Uh, Folks who are focused on income, so folks who aren't exactly. necessarily looking for um, huge, broad, immediate growth, um, but are looking for steady, sustainable, still growing income. Thank you. Um, Michael are, is saying this much better than I. This is a great 
thing. This is a great way for you to continue investing in the stock market, even if you're in retirement, yeah. without having to worry about the risks and volatility of your more traditional stocks. Yeah, uh, and not to say that they aren't still volatile, because you know they all are. stocks are volatile. All stocks carry risks, um, but these REITs are big. They've been around for a long time. HCP and and O have both been around for a very long time, and um, and they've had sort of this proven record of success through multiple. Um, financial downturns, so they're they're really powerful companies. Um, it's a complicated space. It's not easy uh, to invest. Well, really anywhere, but I would say REITs aren't exactly the easiest of they're the stock market. They're not an intuitive thing to think about. Yeah, um, but uh, but it is a space that if you're smart about the long term trends, and then also thinking about um, kind of uh, be, being being smart about where you're deploying your capital, it can still be a very good place. I think for people to invest. Absolutely. So that wraps up our show. I just want to remind our listeners that people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. See you all next week. 